0: Hi church, we're so glad that you're joining us today. Just wanted to share a couple announcements coming up that we have for you. This is kind of an exciting week for church because we officially kick off summer. So we just wanted to share with you some things coming up. First of all, we've got VBS happening next week. So I really encourage you to um, stop by the worship center if you're on campus. Check it out. See what we've been doing. Um, But we really would covet your prayers for the kids that are coming to camp this week. We've got over 400 kids coming, over 200 volunteers helping out. So if you could just pray just for health and safety for the week, we would love that. And just for kids to know more about Jesus. Our theme is On the Case, and so it's a detective theme, and they're going to be discovering the mystery of who Jesus is and what the Bible is all about. So we would love for your prayers about that, and we do have a few spots left for kids. So if you're interested in that, head over to our website, and you can check out the registration there. Uh, following VBS the the very next Sunday, uh, we call it VBS Sunday. So we invite you to come on and then see a little bit of what the kids have done all week. The kids will invite their parents. Just a great opportunity for the church to be involved in what our elementary school kids have done all week at VBS. Um, And then we're going to keep rolling in summer. We're sending our elementary school kids to um, Camp Good News. And then the last week of the month, our middle school and high school students will head up to Hume Lake for a week. And it's just going to be a fantastic week for our students this summer to learn about Jesus. So we want you to mark your calendars for July 2nd. That's a Sunday, the day after all of our students get back from Hume Lake, and this is our annual church at the beach. So we're having our church service at the beach out at Cayucas. There's a service at 1045, um, and they'll be followed by baptisms. Many students make a decision at camp. So we want you all as a church to uh, be invited to come and watch as they uh, share their faith and Let everyone know that this is the decision that they've made. Uh, We'll follow that with a barbecue. So we would love for you to come on out and join us. We will have an 8 a.m. service still here on campus, um, but no other services here. We want you to come on out and join us at 1045, and we hope you can make it. So thanks for joining us today, and hope you have a great week.
1: Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, Today's kind of a special day in the life of our church because tomorrow begins our VBS program, which is our Vacation Bible School, um, which means that summer is officially started. If you've got kids um, or grandkids um, that are in school and they're now out of school, you know that this weekend represents the changing of the seasons where... Um, You start to hear about boredom and hunger and snacks and tiredness and all the wonderful things. But you also get to go to the beach and maybe um, spend a little more time outside because the weather's amazing. Anyway, uh, we are going to have our VBS program uh, this coming week. And I want to simply encourage you, if you haven't been a part of VBS before, regardless of your age and life stage, um, to come on campus and take in the energy of several hundred kids running around Um, It's my personal invitation, if you're not serving, if you don't have kids here, um, come on by because you have to see VBS. And if you think, well, I don't have a reason to go. Uh, I don't know what I do if I come over. Just come on over, find us at the office. We'll give you a little tour. We'll show you some of the classrooms and the different rotations that they're doing um, so that you can even for 15 minutes, just see this amazing movement of kids because we have people on campus, about 150 volunteers that are loving and serving these kids and ultimately they're telling them about Jesus and that is why we're here. So uh, it's such a blessing. So that's this week. We wanna um, invite you to be a part of that um, if you're not already serving in VBS. Um, This morning we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 16 and I'm gonna continue in our series Uh, but before I do that, I wanna um, spend a few minutes walking you through a story in Genesis 16 that I think is gonna give us a foundation for what we're gonna look at in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. So in Genesis 16, you might remember the story of Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, really the father of of the Old Testament line of Israel was promised that he was gonna be the father of many nations, that he would have uh, kids and grandkids, descendants that would uh, number the stars of the sky. And so in Genesis 16, we come up to this story where Abraham has not had any kids, his wife Sarah has not had any kids, and um, they're getting older, kind of into their 80s, and starting to wonder, you know, tapping their toe, okay, God, is this really going to happen? And how is it going to play out? And it seems that um, Sarah, who is concerned that maybe she's infertile, um, is going to take things into her own hands. And so, what Sarah does is she goes to her servant, um, Hagar, and she says to Hagar, um, I want you to go lay with my husband. And so Hagar obliges. She goes and um, does just that. And lo and behold, Hagar is pregnant. And I, w- I want you to just imagine for a minute what must be going through this woman's mind as she musters the courage to go share this news with Abraham and with his wife, Sarah. I'm pregnant. I'm I'm pregnant? How does she say that? How does she share that? What kind of reaction is she going to get? And she's processing through this information saying, you're going to have a child to Abraham. I'm going to have a child questioning, will this be my child? Will Abraham take me as his wife? How is this gonna work out, and the next time she sees Sarah after sharing the news, she's very short with Sarah, she doesn't know what to say or what to do, how to behave or how to act in her presence, and it ultimately upsets Sarah, and reading between the lines, I make the assumption that Sarah in this moment cannot bear to look at Hagar because of what she wanted, because that was supposed to be her child, and so Sarah cries, get out. Get out. And Hagar does. She flees. She runs until she can't run anymore. With nowhere to go, with nowhere to run, she flees until she's tired and she's afraid and she's alone and she's thirsty and she ends up on the side of a little brook getting some water and the Lord God sends a messenger to comfort her. Look, he says, you're pregnant, which is really funny. It actually says that in Genesis 16. It's like so obvious, you know, that messenger says, hey, you're pregnant. She says, yes, I, I, yeah, I I know. But then he says, it's a boy and his name's going to be Ishmael. And so fighting back the tears, Hagar responds, dropping her shoulders in relief and says, you are the God who sees, and I have seen he who looks after me. For Ishmael means the God who sees. And so in this story, we see a redemptive line kind of working its way out, and and obviously there's more to the story that I'm not diving into, and there are a lot of dynamics between um, Isaac and Ishmael, and there's a lot uh, that that I'm not accounting for. But what I want you to simply see in this brief story in Genesis chapter 16 is the power of names. That the names in this story mean something. That the name Hagar meant something. In fact, Hagar was a, um, not a Hebrew name and so it's a little harder to translate because it was a foreign name. But we think that Hagar means flight, to flee. The one who runs. And then we have the name Ishmael, the God who hears, as the messenger shared with Hagar, and then we have the name she gives God, El Roi, the God who sees. Three names, three meanings, three very clear truths that come from names. And that's what we're gonna find in Matthew chapter 16 this morning, the power of names, how God uses names and the names given, the names we give, to communicate truth, to communicate identity. So join me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 16, and I'd like to begin reading in 13, and I'm gonna read all the way to the end of the chapter. Bear with me, let's walk our way through this passage, and ultimately we're gonna find a thread, that common thread that really weaves its way through. So in verse 13, it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, another's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, this is a, a dense passage. I understand that you might be reading through that or following along as I'm reading and thinking, "Oh yeah, I know that that verse, that passage. That, oh, that's where that's found." And then we get to the next part. Oh, this is also here too. And there's all these principles stirring for you, going, "Man, there's a lot here in this passage." And I fully acknowledge we could build three or four sermons out of each of these different sections of Scripture. But what I want you to see is that although there's some really clear, helpful, independent ideas here, there is a thread going through this passage that helps for us to establish the sense of identity that Jesus is longing for us to establish. There's a thread of the names, the naming game that takes place here in the New Testament, that Jesus is giving names, he's receiving names, and I want you to see the value in what's happening. So Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi which is an odd place for him to go for a couple of reasons. One is, it's way north from where they were doing ministries. It's kind of like a journey out of town. It wasn't where he went to the Decapolis, where the Gentiles were. It wasn't where he went over to the Mediterranean, where he was um, ministering to the Syrophoenician woman. No, this was just straight north, and it was a a foreign area where they, they really didn't have a lot of context, but there was something very unique about this place. Caesarea Philippi was built around a cave that was ultimately the water source for the Jordan River. And because of the water source and because of the cave, it had long been established as a Canaanite altar called Panaeus. So this altar was located in the cave of Pan or the god of Pan, which was dedicated as a sanctuary to the pagan god Baal by the Old Testament ancient Canaanites. This was an idol worship town built on an idol worship altar centered around a cave that was designated to a pagan God. And the cave opening ironically was often referred to as the gates of Hades because of this deep water that flowed out of it and the fearful mystery that surrounded the cave by locals. And so Jesus brings his disciples up to a city with a ton of history a city that's known for idolatry, a city that's known for pagan worship. And he takes them to likely this mysterious cave and he asks in a place that's culturally and religiously diverse, who do these people say I am? What are they saying of me? Well, some say Elijah and others say John the Baptist. Some people say you're the prophet Jeremiah. No, no, no. But but who do you say I am? See, Jesus throws out this Critical question, in in my opinion, maybe the most critical question he's ever asked and will ever ask any of us, it's posed here in Matthew chapter 16 and again in Mark chapter eight and in Luke chapter nine. Again and again and again, Jesus comes to the place where there's a swirling opinion about how to interact with the creator God, about who God is, And about who the son of man in this case is. And he says, but you, who do you say I am? And so I invite you as we read this passage and you're listening in to ask yourself a series of questions, really important questions that will help define how you view Jesus and yourself in respect to the world. The first question is, what is his name to me? What does the name of Jesus mean to me? Just as his disciples were contemplating that for a minute, what is the name of Jesus? What is the Son of Man? What does this person of Christ mean to me? Because what we say about Jesus ultimately matters more than what we say about anything else. What you believe about Jesus matters more than what you believe about anything else. And I can say that with clarity and conviction. It it doesn't matter what you believe about the church or about politics or about philosophy or about science or about religion or even relationships. If you don't first start with, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you say he is? It certainly doesn't matter when we start asking questions about how do we interact and relate as the church. You see, our gatherings, our church is Christ first. It's not tradition first. It's not congregation first. It's certainly not pastor first. It's Jesus first and it'll always be Jesus first because here he's posing the most critical question that any human being can ever ask. Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter responds, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, which clearly was inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit that Peter would say such a true and profound statement in the middle of swirling worldly opinions. You are, no one else was willing to say it, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And there's an important distinction here made about Peter's understanding of Jesus. See, there's In our era, there's countless resources, books, opinions, sermons, songs, podcasts, all about who Jesus is. But see, what what Jesus is doing when he responds to Peter, what he's doing is he's saying, no, you have been revealed, you've been let in on a secret spiritual truth that only God could possibly reveal. And I believe that he does the same thing today, that he reveals the truth about who he is by the work of his spirit. And you can understand who Jesus is, not by intellect or reason or study or research, but by the revelation of the spirit of God. That's how we know who Jesus really is. That's how we can confess that truth that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, Paul spells this out a little bit for us so that we can kind of understand what Jesus means. And I don't want to dive too deep into the revelation of the spirit, but I think it's important in the context because of what Jesus says to Peter, that the spirit of God has revealed this to you. So here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit. This is biblical truth. This is uh, the revelation of God who created us. The desire and design that God has for us has been revealed to us through the Spirit so that we can have understanding that really is above human knowledge or worldly knowledge. Here's what he says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And again, a distinction is being made as Jesus takes these followers up to Caesarea Philippi, a place of worldly thought, philosophy, worship, paganism, idolatry. And he says, there is a truth being revealed to you by the Spirit of God that will profoundly change the way that you think about humanity, that will profoundly change the way that you think about yourself in respect to humanity and the world. That Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God. That changes everything. It's the most important question you could ever ask. And so for for us, as we kind of process through, you know, we start to learn about Jesus, we read about him, maybe as a child you learn about him or you sang about him. You might've even heard true things from the world about him. Well, Jesus is the guy who was born of the virgin birth at Christmas, or Jesus is the one that they say was resurrected at Easter. Sometimes you hear things, but really the the question comes down to a very personal response and reaction that can only be revealed by the spirit. Who is Jesus to you? Not who is he to the world? Not, Not what does the world say of Jesus, but who is he to you? Would you say he's my king? my healer, the one who told me everything I ever did, the one who breathed life into my story? Is he the Christ, the son of the living God to you? Is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? Is it a personal response as we understand who Jesus is? And in Peter's case, it was the one who named him. And that's the second question I want you to look at and ask this morning, what is my name to him? What is his name to you? What does the name of Jesus mean to you? What is my name though then to him? Look back with me um, as we kind of walk through the passage and the discussion that Peter has with Jesus at verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter... That's Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what's happening here is Jesus is naming him. He first says, Simon bar Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You got it right. The spirit of God revealed the answer of who I am. Now he says, you are petros, Peter, and on this petra, rock, I will build my church. Now, I want you to see what's happening with the wordplay here. It's really important that Jesus actually uses this word, this this pronoun, this name petros for Peter, rock, but then he says petra, which is the feminine form of the word, which is the foundation of the rock. So, Peter, petra, petros, the piece of the rock, part of the foundation of the rock, the church. And it's an important wordplay distinction because we can misplace what Jesus is saying for the idea that Jesus is actually, or God is actually building the church on the shoulders of Peter himself. And that's simply not true. I think we've gotten that wrong. We've sort of misread that at times. If you kind of go back into the origin story of the church, you look at, I mean, even the Church of St. Peter, there's a monument built, a you know, a, um, a, a memorial church in Vatican City called the Basilica of St. Peter. It's literally built on what they believe is the gravesite of, of Peter, believing that the church is in fact built on Peter, Petros, the person of Peter, the rock, which is not true. We know that the church, as Jesus describes it, in Matthew chapter 1 is built on Christ the rock the cornerstone that he is the foundation the the petra rock of the church and that Peter is a piece of rock petros piece of the building blocks of the church a chip off the old block if you will a piece of Christ the point is Jesus gave Simon a new name that identified him with the rock of the church he said, you were once called Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Now you're called Petros, piece of rock. Identified now with Christ, Christian, if you will. And on this Petra, on this foundational rock, which is the truth that he just confessed. So on this rock, the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church. And the foundation of the church is the truth that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Because you have claimed me as Christ, that's what Jesus is saying, I am claiming you as mine. Because you've said the true thing, I'm going to say what's true now of you. And he goes on to outline his mission that I'll be delivered over and suffer and I'm going to die and rise on the third day. And Peter responds by saying, never, Lord, that could never happen. And notice that Jesus quickly, just as a proof that Jesus isn't saying he's building the church on Peter, the the man Peter's shoulders, just to prove that, he's saying, no, if you get in the way or you become an obstacle, a tripping rock, you might be a piece of the foundational rock, but if you're a tripping rock, then you'll quickly be dismissed. Get aside, he says, stand behind me, Satan, because anything that stands in opposition to the mission of Jesus is satanic. Anything that doesn't have sacrifice in it is of Satan. So again, Peter, Petros, identified with the rock, the foundation, a piece of the puzzle, a building block of the church. But don't forget who you are. Don't forget your mission. Don't forget what it means to be a piece of the rock. And don't stand in the way of the mission of Jesus. So what is your name to him? What does Jesus say your name is once you've claimed that truth of who he is. And finally we see a another question asked indirectly, what is my name to me? Who do you say you are? What is your name to you? Do you believe in this case that Peter is a petros, a piece of the rock. Do I believe I'm a piece of the rock, a part of the church, identified with the mission of Jesus? Look at verse 24 with me and see how Jesus spells this out. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself his old name, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life or try to preserve your identity and lose it, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, give it up, he will find it. See, it's important not only that we ask, who do we say Jesus is? Who does he say I am? And then who do I say I am? Am I willing to own that and claim that new identity, the peace of the rock? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He goes on to reinforce this worldview that Jesus first introduced in the a sermon on the mount where we started teaching this upside down kingdom principle, right? Like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Um, the greatest among you will be the least among you. The dead will live. The Those who mourn will be comforted. It's all this kind of inverse opposite mentality of the kingdom of God. In Luke 14, Jesus teaches this really hard truth that whoever doesn't forsake his father and his mother and his brother and his wife, they cannot be my disciple, And here's what I hear Jesus doing is he says, take up your cross and follow me. If you don't forsake your, your mother or your father or your brother, your family name, your old identity, if you don't leave that behind or, or, or you aren't willing to leave that behind, then you can't be my disciple is what he says in Luke 14. It, it'll, it'll be too hard for you to maintain the new identity that I'm giving you if you're not willing to let the old one go. Are you willing to give up Simon, son of Jonah? The family name, the family business, to become Petros. And you know, my last name is Erky. You probably you might know that. Um, which is a good strong Norwegian name. And uh if you say it the way my my grandfather said it, Erky, you know, it's got like this like punch to it, you know, and um we all kind of hail from the same, it's a legend has it that we all hail from the same town. You know, there's this little town in Norway called Erky. Um, Go figure. You could actually Google. Let me show you a picture. This is, this is my dream. Someday I'm going to go there. I want to go to the town of Urki, sitting on the west coast of Norway, um, on the inlet of the fjords at the base of the Alps. Look at that beautiful town. Anyway, that's where we're from. My grandfather, Newt Erki in 1923 got on a boat from Norway and made his way across the Atlantic. And he landed in New York and he basically committed himself as an indentured servant to work on a farm out on the East Coast for five years to work his way, um, to pay his way into the United States. That's where he studied and learned reading and writing, um, to be able to speak and to write in English. That's where he studied to become a US citizen. And he worked his way into citizenship and ultimately into freedom. And after five years of working off of his debts, he made his way west, kind of following the northern border all the way out to Seattle. And there he worked the fishing traps, the salmon traps of the west coast. Um, ultimately making his way up to Alaska where he'd work in the summers, um, which got him on board with the pipeline work, the oil pipeline. And eventually that took him down to Southern California where in the mid thirties, my grandfather, Newt Urke, established a home and a family in Southern California in the middle of the greatest depression, um, quite possibly the greatest economic depression our country's ever seen. And he worked on the docks loading cargo to provide for his family, working his knuckles to the bone. And eventually he would buy and build a home and establish a shop on the back alley of their little Myrtle Avenue home there in Long Beach where he would repair and build furniture to provide for his family. The Erky name to me represents hard work, tenacity, independence. The Erkies don't quit. That's our, that's our family mentality. We solve problems. It's a kind of a come at me world sort of approach to life. And there's pride attached to that name for me. Just ask my wife. There's identity swimming around that irky name. That's my name to me. So when Jesus says, and, and I walk through this story and I personalize it and imagine myself standing in the conversation as Peter standing in the conversation, when he says, nah. No, not, not Erki. Petros. No, no, not not the Norwegian name anymore. Not all that that represents for you. I want you to see yourself as a rock, as brick and mortar, as a building block for the church. I want you to be a piece of, of my story. Some building materials for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Erky. Give that name up and take on mine. What good is it, Jesus says, if you gain the whole world through hard work, through blood, sweat, and tears, and establish your empire here on earth, if you lose your soul? What's my name to me? What's your name to you? you? And are you willing to deny yourself your name to embrace the name of Jesus? I quickly realized that Newt Erky is not the hero of our family's story. Jesus is, and I thank God for that. Now, I, I recognize some of you are thinking, yeah, well, that's great for you. That's not my family story. That's not my family name. In fact, I wouldn't mind getting out from under my family name because there's a lot of pain attached to my family name. The same good news is true for you as it is for me, you are not Simon of Jonah anymore. Jesus is saying, You can take off that name and put this one on. Trade your name for his. And his promise is that you will not regret it and that you will not be overcome. My name, my family name doesn't define me, and neither does yours. Jesus does. And we realize in the story of genesis chapter 16 the story wasn't about sarah it wasn't about her child or a lack of a child it wasn't about her husband or what she wanted for him or from him the story wasn't about hagar and it wasn't about her pain or her loss the grief that she experienced in the process of the story and the story in matthew chapter 16 wasn't about peter It wasn't about the son of Jonah. It was about the rock of Jesus Christ. The story is about a God who sees, a God who hears. The story is about Jesus, the son of the living God. So who do you say he is? Who does he say you are? And then who do you say you are? The invitation this morning is, to shed some of the baggage and or the pride that has been attached to who you are. The invitation this morning is to embrace a new story for your life, to join the mission of Jesus. But it begins with claiming Jesus Christ as the son of the living God. That's our starting point. Who do you say he is? And then it continues with hearing him speak a new name over us, the God who sees, the God who hears, giving us a new name. And then we embrace our new identity and we begin to think the same of ourselves, that my name is now identified with Jesus. I will be called Christian. Not Urki not or son of Jonah, not even Hagar or Abram, but a new name, a new identity with a new story. That's the invitation of Jesus Christ this morning. Let me pray. There's a lot, Father, here swimming in my mind as it relates to the names we've been given, the names we give ourselves, and the names that we give others. I... I, have to imagine there's a lot of pain attached to the names for some and for those that might be just listening in this morning just processing through what does my name mean to me what does the name of jesus mean to me is he really giving me a new name god would you meet them in the in the swirling kind of storm of confusion that that can that can be And would you reveal, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, would you reveal by the Spirit of God the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who they are? God, teach us of our name. Teach us of your name. May it become so solid in our minds, so clear that we can walk confidently forward in the identity you have offered us as Christians. Little Christ's followers of Jesus. Give us confidence as we step forward. In your name I pray. Amen.